0: You're at your
1: old oh, trusty boat, you call Mighty Sparrow, I'm in the city of Mardi Gras.
0: Welcome to the Sailing into Oblivion podcast, where we sit down with everyday people who do extraordinary things. I'm your host, Jerome Rand. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, coming to you now from Jacksonville, Florida. And it is sopping rainy, tornado-y, the cell phone's going off with alarms of take shelter. Yeah, this is sort of the weather you don't set sail in, and so we're definitely going to be delayed for a little bit, and uh, I thought I would sit down with my fellow crewmate, Rory, and have a little podcast for everybody, and we talk, you know, we get into a little bit about expectations for the trip, how things are going so far. We just had our first day sort of trying to get the boat um, sorted out a bit. And uh, real interesting guy. He's got um, you know he's got quite a quite an interesting past. We get into a little bit of the fishing stuff, some guiding, some river rafting, and a few other things. So pretty interesting, you know. We're in the stages sort of just getting to know everybody, which is always very important right before you're about to hop onto a forty or thirty-seven foot vessel for two weeks out at sea. So it's uh, it's pretty cool. So hopefully you enjoy this little conversation. And there's definitely going to be Quite a few podcasts uh, from beginning to end on this trip, and we'll be pumping them out, uh, you know, each week, and uh, hopefully, hopefully, we'll be able to have at least minimum one per week, even when I go out to sea, uh, because we're going to have Starlink on the boat and everything like that. So should be pretty good. Thanks for listening. Everything like that. Um, real quick, going to do the promo stuff in one minute. Here we go. Three, two, one. If you decide you'd like to support this show, please think about following the link in the description for the Patreon page. Thanks to all those who have been supporting the show, keeping it ad-free and keeping it going over the years. We've also got the merch line out there. Link in the description as well. All the hoodies and shirts. uh, We've taken the prices down as much as it possibly could. The kids' books or children's books, those are out on Amazon. Link in the description. As well as the normal uh, Sailing Into Oblivion paperback that i wrote many many years ago and if you just want to reach out to the show it is uh, sailing into oblivion.com you can check that out there's a lot of stuff about the presentations and things like that because we're taking bookings well off into the summer and into the fall for 2024 so check it all out other than that thanks so much everybody for listening and enjoy my conversation with rory
1: not like <laughs> yeah i know i
0: know it is but it it's one of those things where to try and keep i'm i'm so used to speaking into the mic that i know to keep my my mm. you know mouth right there but if you know in the beginning when i first started doing this i was
1: you know i didn't know exactly right
0: <laughs> but rory thanks for coming on the show dude yeah no this is this is a treat i'm, I'm excited, excited. Nice little thundery afternoon. It's actually kind of a neat setup. Uh, we're in a hotel down here in Jacksonville and got a big picture window. We just Our, our cell phones just went off simultaneously <laughs> with the old uh, tornado. Amber alert or whatever. Yeah. Well, I guess. Uh, it's yeah. pretty blustery out there. All I'll say.
1: Yeah. No time to be in a boat.
0: Uh, no, definitely <laughs> not. I'm glad... I'm glad Ryan wasn't uh, too keen on on going back. And, you know, honestly, hopping on a boat uh, anytime when there's lightning on the dock, I don't like it at all.
1: Yeah, I don't care for it. You know, I mean, it seems like more often than not when you're out there and there is lightning, you know, you're you're on a boat, got the lightning rod sticking up in the air. Yeah, and And all those electrical
0: panels and all the shore power cables I just feel like uh, we're like a magnetic grid for yeah. for I mean, strike.
1: I've been out, you know, doing fishing trips in years past, and you know, you got two guys in your little rowboat waving super conductors around in the air, <laughs> yeah, you know, right. fly fishing, and I got an aluminum boat on top of it, so it's like that's always nerve wracking.
0: Uh, yeah, a little bit, a little bit. I I've got a few buddies. Uh, one in particular, Brian. Shout out, shout out to him. He definitely is a listener. Um, he. He, his boat got hit down in South Carolina and it just roasted everything. Uh, like insurance the, covered it so he was able to you know rebuild everything but I mean talk about losing every piece of electronics yeah. engine just absolutely toasted so it's wow. pretty bad. it's pretty bad and it's, it's
1: just horrifying.
0: luck of the draw, <laughs> luck of the draw so so Rory, you're gonna be hopping on this boat uh, as a a greenhorn
1: technically, as far as offshore sailing goes? Certainly. Yeah, I've never um, done anything even close. You know, I mean, I've been on some boats, but never multi-day, multi-night, you know, away from land, like proper sailing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've never done that. So. Well,
0: cheers to your uh, your your brash decisions, because this is a good one, man, this, yeah, this
1: trip. I feel super fortunate, you know, things kind of aligned correctly. I got a hold of ryan who i hadn't spoke to in several years you know and found out he was doing this trip and was like well i'll go if you need somebody and he's like i don't really need anybody but there's room and i was like (laughs) there we go hey you don't gotta tell me twice serendipitous
0: (laughs) then man well that's cool and i mean you you were we were talking the other night and you were saying you know kind of looking for a little bit of adventure in life
1: Uh, you know i've always opened to you know something new and interesting you know like i my adrenaline junkie days, I think, are sort of behind me you know mm-hmm. <laughs> i don't I'm not the thrill seeker that I might have been as a younger man, but you know, um, I'm super pumped about that, you know it's like that's gonna be a hell of an experience you know? well
0: that that's for sure i mean it you know the
1: offshore world is such
0: a unique place.
1: So I just in the you know, last half hour peeked open into your book a little bit, the first, you know, couple the foreword and the oh, know, oh, nice. <laughs> dude. That's adventure. You know? <laughs> I mean I, I don't yes, that is. I can't imagine <laughs> an, you know what that would have been like. So that's that's unreal. Well, and, and
0: you can think I mean, you know, I I in that book I don't really get into the preparation all that much. It's pretty much like I wanted to write a book about the the actual trip, and that's pretty much it. And give give the audience or the reader as much of just a realistic look of this was how it went for me, and this is what it's like when you do this sort of thing. Without sort of pontificating on why I'm doing it and yeah. all the 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 reasons and you know the years leading up to it and all that sort of stuff. I kind of wanted to write something that was a fast read, uh, but also kind of a thorough thorough sort of
1: description of it and and definitely like bare bones real life i mean you jump right in that's for sure you know mm-hmm. like i had to force myself to put it down just now, you know? oh. so now i better put it down together. oh man you're
0: not you're not saying that just because we're gonna be on a boat together for like no two weeks. I, I that was legit <laughs> you know i mean
1: you grab the the reader's attention right away you know you make a a little bit of a point of being like you know, a lot of people ask me why I did this, and I don't really have the best answer yeah, for that. And I was true. like, all right, I don't think I ever will either. And then the next thing you're talking about is getting rolled over in the South Ocean someplace. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, good God, man, that sounds horrifying. Well, that was
0: actually you know, so I got to sit down with an uh, a real author, like a a full on New York Times bestseller, John U. Bacon. He's written a bunch of books, and mm-hmm. uh, most notably, well, the one that I really enjoyed was. um, the great Halifax explosion. And it's all about back in, I think it was world war one. There was a ship essentially loaded with dynamite, an entire huge ship pulled into Halifax and ran into another ship and caught on fire. And the explosion was up until that point, the largest ever seen It, it obliterated Halifax. And he, the way he describes all the stuff leading up to it. And then, how like, you know, the people of Boston and, you know, America as a whole went up and helped and stuff. And I guess Halifax still sends a Christmas tree mm. down to Boston every single year. It wow. goes in like the Boston Square so or something.
1: Was it like all these other big ports where they have the massive fuel tanks and everything right there on the water to, you know, go up with the explosion? or was it? Uh, just- no, it was
0: just that this one ship had so much explosive on it that because it all went up in one shot, it was almost the equivalent of like a megaton or something. Insane, insane. But it it, it just wiped out, you know, the entire city. And anyway, he so he sat down with me for about an hour and gave me a bunch, he he gave me like a master class on like, hey, you know, if you're going to go write this book, here's some of the steps that'll, you know, make it happen. He obviously can't transform me into... Hemingway. But he, he gave me the idea of like, don't just start at the beginning, you know, catch your audience like immediately be like, you know, find a place that's really scary. The, the one that he had mentioned, he was he was talking about uh, possibly like taking Thanksgiving or Christmas and I'm out on the ocean and, you know, thinking about my family sitting around a warm table in Michigan and like clinking glasses of water because I run out of water and in my, in my Christmas, it's this nightmare of Southern ocean. Like all this stuff. I don't know. It, it, it was cool. Like
1: I only got a couple few pages in, but it, like I got all kinds of, you know, <laughs> questions and like, wait, what? Like how, how do you get water out there? You know, you're trying to catch snowflakes and stuff. Yeah. Well, somewhere? it'll,
0: it'll explain itself mm-hmm. for sure. Chances are, if if you get into it, you probably finish it before we even get on the boat. Yeah, no, it
1: seemed like it might. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: But yeah, so I mean, uh, I figure, um, you know, what are your impressions of the the boat and stuff? So Rory and I spent the first day, you know, just basically cleaning up and organizing and getting the boat in some working order so that we can now figure out all the the issues and things that need to be addressed before it's seaworthy. What, What are your thoughts on it?
1: You know, it seems like there's overall, like it's, you know pretty pretty much there it's just there's lots of little little detail things it seems like need touched up you know i mean some of the stuff's out of my scope so maybe it's more significant than i realize but it, it seems to me like you know two three days of us staying on top of it we should be able to you know bang out quite a bit of it i i, I think so i mean what do you think you know I mean, yeah
0: i i think for me the you know i've always relied mostly on the boat the mast the sails we got new sails the mast looks great the rigging looks great um i gotta tune the mast make sure it's all straight up and down and everything's tensioned properly Mm, so you can Um, adjust that
1: with the with the turnbuckles
0: yeah and once that's done if 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 it looks like that cape horn wind vane is fully functioning which i think it should be um then I'm pretty happy. Like I, you know, I I know it's not going to be a comfortable ride because we don't have a Dodger. Um, when we get out there and it's blowing and it's raining, that's going to suck. <laughs> I could see that. You, you know, being able to sort of hide behind, um, but essentially the fact that we're doing the offshore passage to try and keep the wind either at our back or on our beam, as opposed to right off the bow. That actually, in some ways, makes the Dodger a little less of a necessity because it's when it's when you're driving into the wind and seas and you're basically every time you get a wave that hits the bow, it splashes a whole bunch of salt water all over everything. Mm -hmm. That's when you're cowering, you know, behind the Dodger. If you're not doing that, and we're trying to basically avoid that at all costs, you
1: don't just stand there like the statue in Gloucester. Oh, like I the do. Yeah, just yeah, like yeah. braving it, the- when, taking when it. Salt water
0: <laughs> hits my face. I don't even blink. Yeah, no. Just it. <laughs> I, I cower. I'm down below in my bunk. Yeah. I'm like, Rory, you got to go yeah, up and do what? Your,
1: your turn, bud. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean,
0: that, I think sometimes, um, these days, it's easy to overemphasize the importance of uh, the electronics and navigation as opposed to the real basics, which is the sails, the mast, the boat, structurally, is it good? Do we have a good auto helm um, or in our case, a wind vane? And that all looks pretty good. I was inspecting the, the rudder and uh, or not the rudder, but the the rudder shaft and all that stuff down below and how the cape horn was installed and everything. And that's all like steep stainless steel, you know, beams. It's all welded and everything. And it looks pretty stout for sure.
1: You know, and honestly, I would look to your opinion, you know, cause I had <clears throat> basically the same question. Like, what do you think? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Like, you yeah, know what yeah. you're looking at? I mean, I'm just kind of looking at it and going from very little to dry. Right. right. You know? <laughs> But, you know, the the boat is interesting. It's a little different than, I guess, what I would have imagined, you know, having, before I'd seen it. Mm-hmm. In that it's bigger in some ways and smaller in others, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Like the cockpit oh, yeah. up, up above is quite a bit smaller than I would have guessed. Like, you know, it, it's got that... I forget what you guys called it, but like the kind of storage areas on either side. They oh, make the, almost the like combing. A, make like a bench shorter than the cockpit itself is pretty tight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Where and then, But then down below is quite a bit bigger. Oh, know? it's I huge. Mean, there's a lot of room in there. You know? the, so the fact that
0: on one side you, you've got, you know, the, the U-shaped booth and on the other side of the main cabin or what they would call the salon, mm-hmm. normally there's like a couch there or a settee and you can use that as another bunk but that one is they've gutted that completely out they have just that little that little wood burning stove Mm -hmm. and just a huge amount of space yeah like that's i mean to me like if that were my boat uh i'd probably have some sort of fancy like folding chair that i could set out there Yeah, you could put a lazy boy or barber chair (laughs) or something in there A huge amount of maybe open a small space. hot tub, <laughs> yeah. And actually, in in some ways, it can be a little bit. Um, it, it can seem like a nice thing to have, like an open space, but on a boat, especially when things get rocky and rolly, and people getting, you know, you're kind of getting tossed around. You actually don't want a whole lot of space. You mm. want those those areas sort of hemmed in so that you can get your hands on things when you get thrown mm. off of your
1: balance and stuff. But yeah like with rafting it's always you rig rigged to flip you yeah know, you yeah, ne- yeah you never yeah, right? know where you're gonna make a dumb mistake and catch a bad one and end up flipping in a place where you you know anytime you get cocky you get served you know it's oh like, yeah the, the universe <laughs> how long were you doing the rafting stuff oh i have done a bunch of it over the years you know i i was a primarily a fishing guide but i've rode all kinds of stuff i've been pretty fortunate gone on a lot of good trips i've never done the grand canyon it was kind of uh. like one of the the pinnacles of that i've done that one yeah i've not done that but i've done damn near everything else you know that's worthy you know in the intermountain west if you will you know there's a couple couple missing but i was fortunate enough to do a selway trip years ago which is up in idaho that's a pretty tough pretty gnarly one it's one of those ones where it's all through a wilderness area like to do the shuttle you have to drive around a mountain range it takes a whole day basically and it's like four days through this wilderness area where they only allow one one permit per day. So it's just you and your guys. You don't see anybody else on it. And it's it's a tough permit to pull. And years, oh, I'll bet. Years ago, a friend of mine pulled it and I was able to, to get on. And that was unbelievable. That and was, you're camping out each night? Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, you're, you're on the river for four or five days, I think is what it was. Uh-huh. And... Um, it was huge when we did it. It was we nailed it. Like it rained for the whole week before. And, oh, right, know, right. Rained spottily throughout the trip, but I mean that every time you went around a turn, the river doubled in size. It was unbelievable.
0: And that that I mean that happened the the second time. The first time I got to do the first half of the Grand Canyon when I was like twelve, mm-hmm. but then I was able to get on to a. Uh, a guided trip with small boats you know a little like four and six person rafts
1: so were you on one of those big j rigs with the engine no no no, and no, no. it was
0: all oars we had in our we would do a group of maybe 20 or 25 people and then six or seven guides and we probably had six boats if not more and so you'd have on the oared boats you'd have two people in the back two people in the front and then the oarsmen and then uh then we'd always end up having one paddle boat so that you know you'd have six people on that everybody's going to paddle people in their just hand. get destroyed oh i never <laughs> did that one. i was always like dude i want to be in the back or the front punching through <laughs> the way but um the second time when i was probably 22 um went out and we did the full 14 days and mostly it was all people that i knew friends and stuff and uh the, it had rained monsoon for days, days and weeks, and blew out a couple of uh, wastewater treatment plants. So that was in there. <laughs> there was a lot of dead cattle floating in the river. Mm-hmm. But normally the Grand Canyon runs between, I think, like, like nine nine to 11,000 feet per second. Mm-hmm. When we were in there at its peak, it was like 45,000 But it washed out a lot of the rapids. You didn't get a lot Mm -hmm. of the ones, but some of the ones that were really big were like the guides were just trying to figure stuff out.
1: Well, often when, you know, you get those super high flows like that that are atypical, Mm -hmm. there's rapids that nobody knows about that stand up in places. Right, right. You know, flat or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's always interesting when you're like, oh, never saw that before. (laughs) Have you ever read um, the Emerald Mile? Um, is that about the guys who did the fastest trip down uh-huh. there, you know? Yeah, when the I, Glen Canyon Dam was about to go? I, I have not read the book. I did watch a, a documentary of sorts on oh, it. Oh, okay, was okay. Good. The, Do that you know.
0: That book, I mean, it's it's that's like a 400-page, and, and they go through all the history, everything. And like, they did it in oh. like
1: 36 hours or something crazy.
0: It might have even been faster than that. Because like there, there, there was a record run before that. But then this time was, and it was totally illegal. They knew they weren't allowed to yeah, do it, totally. but they just, they were like, "We, this is it. This is like the greatest, single greatest time to try this. Because they had opened both floodgates on the Glen Canyon Dam, and it's just hurtling down. I think it was running at like hundred and fifty, or 160,000 yeah. feet per second.
1: I know that like the max flow ever recorded was well over 100,000. Yeah. Sure. yeah, and I think they
0: left in the middle of the
1: night. Under the cover dark boats, right? Like in Dory style boats. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh huh. It's crazy. Yeah. So I I have a dory that I use for fishing, you know. Oh, okay. But I am scared to death of taking that thing in big water. You know, I mean one because like if something goes wrong, you might lose the boat. Probably. You're definitely gonna lose a bunch of fishing gear that costs (laughs) Yeah. and it's just, you know. I've not really done a lot of like whitewater dooring. They're kind of outfitted different where they shed more water as opposed to just being a bathtub that fills up. Right. You right. Know, some of them even have like a, a hole in the cockpit where it, water can leave, you know? So it's kind of like, Oh, cause Scott call yeah. it self bailing, but it's, yeah, you know, yeah. Yeah. Um, your feet are still pretty wet. I think it's oh, just different totally. it from, from the knees down or whatever. But, uh, I, I've not done much of that. I've mostly been in soft boats and the stuff I've done, but, um, Big difference there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially when you get into the cataracts, you know, they're exceptional with what they can handle, you know, and it doesn't seem like it'd be that big a difference. But, one, they carry a ton of weight. Two, without having a bottom, really, like, if you watch, you know, carnage videos of people getting dumped, uh-huh. you usually see they get dump trucked, they go up sideways, and then there's, like, a wave that hits on the floor of the boat and kind of finishes them off. You know, yeah, teeter yeah. for that second where they're stalled out, like, are they going to flip? or they gonna...? And then it's the wave. On well, the cataract, that's, there's no floor. So it just kind of, they're a lot tougher to flip, it seems like. No floor. Is, so what's there? There's a metal frame that's up quite a bit higher, you know, maybe halfway up the... Uh, The pontoon, Uh if you will, and uh, you you can load all kinds of gear and stuff. But a lot of times, like where the oarsman sits, there's like a foot bar. Oh, other than that, it'll be kind of open. Oh wow! And then you have gear stowed front and back or on the sides. So just less surf, no,
0: you know, missing the surface area for for the contact. Exactly,
1: and there's less drag. You know, so they're slightly more maneuverable in some ways because of that. You know, you don't have the floor drag. So right right you know, now. So okay when they're when they're empty not heavy like not no gear they're like a ferrari you know yeah <laughs> oh, handle, i'm sure Right, you load them up and there's you know still takes a couple strokes to change direction
0: well interestingly enough i mean with with the Tiana, um you know that canoe stern that's part of the the sort of thought behind that design. You know, when you're running before the seas, so you're going with the waves mm-hmm. and everything. Um, you know, you get some big breaking waves that come up because the waves are always going faster than the boat, but they'll pick you up. And I mean, I've seen it on Sparrow where you'll have a big gnarly white freaking wall coming thundering at you, and like the stern just picks up a little and it just gets peeled apart. And it goes right behind, but you know most traditional boats have a flat transom, and so when that wave hits that transom, it's sort of it's like getting smacked on the butt, and, so and it'll sometimes it'll forward. Or, well, sometimes it'll scoot it forward, sometimes it'll it'll Scooch it off to one side, and then the boat gets oh, sideways. to Everything, sideways, yeah. yeah, and that can still happen to the canoe stern for sure. But yeah. same you know.
1: thing happens in the river. You know, you, you call it spin to win. Sometimes you just you, you, <laughs> you keep spinning, <laughs> keep going, and sometimes that plays out well, and sometimes not so much. <laughs> well, I've always I always thought of it this
0: way, and I and this this comes into play a lot of times going in and out of marinas. Is that you know, if Mother Nature decides to throw a puff of wind your way and is gonna push the boat one way, don't fight Mother Nature, don't fight the boat. go with it. like you're saying, if if it starts to spin, just keep spinning it. you know, mm-hmm. make it, make it easy. If you try and fight it, that's when things go pretty horrifically. And when, you know, hence why you know, when you get into pretty rough weather and if you've got this, the room to be able to run, I always, if the winds get get really bad and the seas get bad, I'll just turn with them and just go. I might lose a day or two. Yeah, but I was
1: going to say it'll take you. you yeah, know, I mean, we way wouldn't, ways. if,
0: you know, for instance, so so you and I looked at the weather. We looked at this route that we're trying to take going from Jacksonville out just about to the um, longitude of Bermuda and then straight down to Puerto Rico. And, you know, if we we got out there and 2 3 days in we're past the gulf stream and all of a sudden the wind's howl out of the south you know if it's going to do that for 12 hours and we don't want to sit there and hove to or we don't want to beat into it you know we can just turn with it and go, go to bermuda yeah exactly <laughs> it's going to it's going to sling us up you know another 60 miles or something but once it passes and things change then we get back on our our normal route
1: yeah, that was fascinating. Looking at the you know projected wind events following mm-hmm. the front and stuff like that, and how there's a, a, window where they really are in your favor if you can catch that right, it'll help you out tremendously right out of the gate. You know. Oh, exactly. Well,
0: and I I looked at it briefly when I got back. The that the the system that's coming off around the fifteenth or sixteenth has already changed a lot. Oh yeah, yeah. It's decreased in its uh, veracity, if you will, and essentially that's good news for us because, you know, looking at the boat and seeing how much we have to get done, and, you know, I'm I'm a little torn with with the the hooking up of the last of the electronics because you know I I know like like you said the elect the electrician's already done so much, it's kind of I don't know, but if 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 he's not able to come back and do finish the job, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, well, I guess we got to kind of just take it on and plug all the rest of the stuff in, and then just you know go for it. But I my point being, like, by this weekend we might have another window of opportunity to go.
1: Yeah, that's true. It was looking like the next opportunity after this one would be. So, mm-hmm. so kind of quite possibly in the back of my mind when, you know, we were talking about how long it was going to take to do stuff. And I was like, ah, it seems like we could probably get all that stuff done before then.
0: I think I really do think tomorrow, uh, you know, the full, after doing all the organizing today, obviously we have to jump on some of those projects, like the last little bit of, you know, Kiwi grip paint that's got to go on the repaired mm-hmm. deck. And a few of the things that need to be bedded properly, because that takes a day or two for that to really cure up nicely. Mm -hmm. Um, If we can nail those, and Ryan can go and do that. um, Well, it was
1: nice to see that he seemed like he has... 99 percent of all the like stuff that you need you know the right on board yeah the store exactly. back and forth and that kind of thing and it's, that that's, that's a huge a, thing yeah kill so much time <sighs> you know and just it's like oh i
0: don't have this i gotta go i'll, I'll be, be back me. i'm going to west marine and then like an hour goes and by you know
1: it's like a running joke at home you know with the kids who work at the hardware store They're like Do you find everything you need it's like i'll let you know when i get home be like i'll be back yeah right
0: but yeah, I think I think with uh, with a good blast of uh, the full- on cleaning, and I definitely want to do a bunch of that. Uh, but I think if, if we if we can allow Ryan to do, you know, f- do the Kiwi grip stuff and just like he can focus on that, and you and I can just start doing sort of a deep dive clean, get the galley, get all those, you know the, that fridge and stuff. it has that swinging door. I'm pretty sure that just gets screwed down. I saw screw holes because there's no latch on it because normally on a, on a ship's refrigerator the access
1: is from the top. W- which it is back there behind the stove or whatever. There's uh-huh. like a slider I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. fridge and then the rest of that being a freezer it was encouraging because I was like icebox, like what is this the 1920s? What the <laughs> hell is that? A mean? lot of boats still do that. <laughs> mm-hmm. A lot,
0: yeah, A lot of boats have actually switched to, you know, those coolers that you can plug in to like a cigarette lighter essentially mm-hmm. and and they're they're efficient and they're not very expensive you know to to get a system for a boat like a cooling plate and then run the really thin copper piping get the regulator all that sort of stuff um, and the compressor you're looking at like 1500 to grand easily easily
1: you know i mean you get up to 5 in a hurry i bet oh you, you oh know.
0: definitely if you i mean my on sparrow i have what's called a keel cooler and essentially, it runs that Freon, you know, it goes to the compressor, goes to the cooling plate, and then it goes down. And there's a fixture where it goes through the, the side of the hull into the water. And it runs through kind of like a little like a, radiator a thing, heat exchanger setup. Down exactly, there. yeah, and um, and then goes back into the system. And so, how
1: does that work if you're in tropical waters where it's hot?
0: Well, that's the thing is that Freon's super hot when it gets down there, so and it still if, cools. it Yeah, awesome. even yeah. if the water's you know 80 degrees or 90 degrees, but yeah, you just you just run that sucker like crazy. <laughs> but yeah, so I don't know all, all those different systems. I mean. You know, it was a amaz- was it. It was pretty incredible to see the transformation of that boat today, though. From from what it looked like when we get walked into it,
1: yeah. That, today was the first. Like I saw it briefly yesterday, just from the dock. You know, standing there, but oh. I hadn't gone down below at all. until yeah. today, and it. You know, I mean, everything seems like it's there. It just needs kind of tightened up a little. Yeah, know? yeah. And I, I Ryan's pretty overwhelmed with all the stuff he's got going on. I'm, I understood his position on it. You know, and I think today probably helped get him kind of I think at so. a little better
0: just kind of looking around and and you know seeing that it's more of a livable boat and i think i think that's gonna be a real key to it is we got to try and take as much weight off of him so that he
1: can you know wrap up all the stuff he needs to do and you know, I think we've all been there where you're, you know, got an undertaking of some sort. You bit off a little more than you could chew and it's overwhelming. You know, it gets intimidating. Right, right. Like you said, you start knocking things off. All of a sudden things come into into view and it gets a little. Just much. starts to feel better. Yeah. Yeah. You feel like you can do it instead of, you know, defeated before you even start.
0: Right, right. Well, and I, I did. I reminded him the other day. I was like, remember, this is supposed to be fun. <laughs> <laughs> it's very easy, and I myself have lost sight of that a million times when I'm dealing with Sparrow. Sometimes or other you gotta
1: zoom out, <laughs> yeah, and just
0: be like, you know,
1: this could be. I could have to work like a ten-hour job and then do this stuff. Totally, so <laughs> clock out and then come do your your second job. Yeah, that's, exactly. Yeah, that's tough. Do you have any um, sort of expectations as far as what life is going to be like once we get offshore? expectations no i don't think that's what the word i would use you know i mean i guess i have some i guess yeah i mean i got some thoughts but i'm also well aware that they're probably inaccurate so i try not to put too much energy into them right you know, right like, right like sure you, i start thinking about it and i'm like picturing stuff in my head but it's like what do you picture you know, after reading the first, you know, couple little chapters of your book, you know, i got to probably kind of reevaluate, oh, no. you know, oh, yeah. like the, the whole concept of a sailboat tumbling end for end is, is a new one for me. You know? And I don't think that I'm aware that we're probably not going to encounter those kind of circumstances. I not sure really. hope not. Yeah. Right. That kind of Jeez. But, um yeah you know it's it's coming together, i guess my vision of things you know three hour watches that you know gives you six hours to rest up and yeah kind of reflect and you know I guess you know i we'll we'll see you know I'll let you know <laughs> if what I was thinking ends up being asked backwards or not but i I feel like um it's kind of an open canvas in a lot of ways you nice, know like nice. it's the unknown for me, at least, you know, it's so much the unknown that it's it's hard to really,
0: yeah, yeah, well, know. and I, I just you know, I'm just putting you on the spot a little there. Oh, I, I apologize, but like it fine. is, you know, it's one of those things where i've I've had enough experience with people um you know, who have bought boats but never gone offshore, but they dream about doing it and stuff and and you know being able to listen to some of their expectations and talking about, you know.
1: Well, how about flip the script? What are your expectations? You know, being a guy who's done it a bunch, Uh, oh, going off there, here to kind of babysit some chumps who are just...
0: (laughs) I'm here. I'm here as the, uh, uh, I guess you could say, insurance, confidence builder, and last line of defense without a doubt but yeah I mean, right I, I guess <laughs> your expectation and mine are the same that way
1: you know and, and that was reassuring learning from Brian and listening to your podcast and kind of I don't know not getting to know you but getting an idea of some of what you've done prior to meeting you right right certainly helpful you know like okay we well, got somebody who knows you know who can answer questions like affirmative you know with authority not (laughs) not like well i think this is what we're supposed to that's when you know you're (laughs) starting to
0: get up there in the years when uh when people say stuff like that about you but Mm -hmm. that's a good thing i mean you know it's uh for me one of the one of the really nice parts about a trip like this is to be able to sort of pass on as much knowledge as i can to to make the learning curve for everybody on board, just super steep. So it's just like, oh,
1: okay. I mean, I can say already, and we haven't even, you know, gotten away from the dock, that I've learned more than I can even keep track of. Yeah, you know, yeah. That, like, that's And
0: that's one thing I have to
1: make sure I don't try and overwhelm too many things. Too would, yeah, I got to check myself with the constant question. <laughs> you know, mm. Sometimes I can get over.
0: Well, and that that sort of thing is, you know, I've I've been a, a sailing instructor since I was like 21. Mm-hmm off and on over the years and I've always really enjoyed it so I'm I'm very used to being sort of peppered with questions and I don't mind answering the same questions sort of over and over again and stuff so never feel you know like you're pasturing me or anything like that. I mean, I'll tell you if I'm sort of like you back off what? dude, slow down, I'm enjoying the stars up here, Rory. So why don't you go down below, <laughs> grab a book and go relax. Now, and it, you know, honestly, and that, that, that's one of the things that uh, really comes into play. And I'm, I'm glad actually we do get a little bit of time to everybody kind of works together. We get to sort of hang out and stuff because
1: it, it uh, makes it kind of more organic and, and, contiguous I, I don't know if that's really the word but like you have something to work with we're, it's, it's like it.
0: we're a team trying to get we got like two goals one to get the boat ready two to get the boat where we need to get it to mm-hmm. safe sound and good but also at the same time having this little bit of time because you know once you untie and you get past the Gulf stream you're basically 100% committed to that point,
1: point of no so return. we're all on
0: this little mm-hmm. little capsule so to speak the time we have between now and then is all the time we need in the world for like red flags to pop up and you to be like, dude, you know what? I can't stand this drum guy. I think he knows what the hell he's talking about. Yeah, I don't
1: see that being. I'm pretty
0: huge. sure he's over there taking nips off of a bottle every 15 minutes. Guy what? can barely stand now, up.
1: Have you ever showed up to do in a an excursion of this sort and just been like what the fuck oh yeah, <laughs> just been yeah, like, yeah. this ain't happening man. uh but,
0: i've never got to the point where well actually let me think this is this is kind of the other tell you know you're starting to get old when not so much that i can't remember but i've been on so many different boats over the years that there have been a few that it's sort of like yeah
1: sometimes the eh. other thing blends into one too yeah yeah like, there, there's
0: definitely been boats where we, we, when we finally pull into the destination, I'm just like, I can't believe we survived that. Yeah, like boats literally falling apart around us. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't expect that to happen on this boat because the boat itself is such
1: a sound vessel. I think it seems like a tank for sure. Yeah,
0: I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing wimpy about it, and. Um, you know, for me, like I explained to Ryan, you know that that's the most important. The key thing is that the actual vessel's good. You know, whether or not we can download the weather via Starlink, you know, is it's not inconsequential, but it's not the end of the world if we can't.
1: I mean, the fact that that's even an option for like r- relatively normal working class people to come up with technology <laughs> yeah, is pretty right? mind blowing. I, know? Know. I mean, 20 years ago, it would have been like, good luck, bud. Yeah. You get right. this giant shoe suitcase phone, the <laughs> you know, satellite thing that you got to work with. It's like,
0: uh, well, I, I will say, I think, you know, uh, barring, barring us, you know, if we got to a point where that stuff wasn't going to be, we weren't going to be able, able to do it. If we had the time, if the weather window changed and we had like a, an extra few days, I mean, Sparrow's just up there in North Carolina. we take a truck, go up there real quick, grab, you know, I've got an Iridium Go, which you don't need. It's just a little thing you carry with you. All you need is batteries. Um, and then you can download the weather the whole time you're out there. Hmm. Um you know, there's, there's, I got an AIS up there, all that stuff, which is all plug and play, like, mm-hmm. you know, super easy. All you gotta do is power the thing, and the, you know, it's good to go. So we definitely have some options if if the going gets tough. But I'm I'm pretty hopeful that uh, this guy will want to come in and at least finish this job because it doesn't
1: seem like he has too much left to do. No, it's definitely just buttoning stuff up. Seem like like the backbone of it all is in place, the new panel and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So, you know, who who knows? We'll, we'll have to sort of see. But the one thing that I do
1: know you're going to be the expert on on this trip is going to be fishing. I don't know about the expert. I mean, it's something I enjoy immensely. And, you know, my quote unquote expertise would lie in like more inshore kind of, you know, I do a lot of fly fishing and, yeah, yeah. and that kind of thing. Well,
0: because you I mean, would you, you consider yourself a professional fisherman?
1: I mean, at one point in time, I did it for a living, you know, as a guide anyway, for a living. So in that realm, I would, you know, have I ever made a living as a fisherman beyond that? Not really. Right, right. And one thing I did learn doing that for a living, honestly, was like doing something you love for work, turn something you love into work a little bit. You know, I mean, because... Before I guided, you know, that sounded like a, the most awesome job in the world. You I know? get to, it's fish, like, every like, get to day. fish, you know, and it's like, <laughs> eh, you're on, it's a customer service job on the water, you yeah, know, right, is what right. it really is. And, and that's fine in hindsight, knowing that, like, I wouldn't really jump at the chance to be a guide ever again. I'm not saying I wouldn't do it, at least, you know, especially in like a part time kind of like, yeah, yeah. A deal way. But like, the idea of becoming a fishing guide, having done it, is not. Like how long did you do it for? Oh, like probably seven years or something like that. Oh wow. That, you know? And that was on the
0: rivers out west?
1: Yeah, and around Durango mostly, Colorado, Four Corners oh, cool, area. Man. You know, so we had a little bit of some tailwater stuff down in New Mexico that was kind of the both a good thing and a bad thing, you know. It's one of these weird anomalies where the first four miles below this dam, there's over twenty thousand fish per mile they average, you know, 18 to 20 inches. Oh, really? It's it's ridiculous, you know, and it's because all the water comes off the bottom of the lake out, out of the spillway or whatever, and it's, you know, the temperature's real consistent. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you create this kind of, like, fake environment that's perfect for giant drought down in the desert you know, in a place where it typically be brown and slow and full of catfish, yeah, and whatever yeah. you know, and oh, it's I this amazing, it that way. Yeah. You know, it's like an aquarium, it's bananas, you know I mean? There's so many fish you wade out in, in the, in the river and you look below you downstream and you'll have 10 or 15 fish lined up just really eating crap. You kick off the bottom, you know, <laughs> and there's so many fishermen as a result that the fish are proud, you know, you got to use real tiny itty bitty baby. I mean, ridiculously small flies. Like you'd right. be, you'd be kind of disgusted like what you're catching this fish on that thing like
0: it's hey i i will say not to interject but on our our last camping trip this summer uh i caught a pike that must have been a good i don't know 40 inches almost it felt like it it was heavy on we were going for a little bass and it was this tiny little worm that big just got him right on the lip and i had bought a 16 or
1: 20 dollar Snoopy Road. Oh, yeah, yeah. And
0: I, I'm i sitting there. It took me forever to get in because I thought the line was just going to snap. You know... Greatest it, it, this, day of my life.
1: This guest ranch I worked at um, outside of Durango, north end of Vallecito. Viacito is a reservoir down there that um, somebody introduced Pike into years ago. Mm. I, I don't think... By the DOWs design, really, I think it kind of right. happened. Right, somebody was just like, "Yeah, you know what?" But because you know these pike eat nothing but trout and salmon, as opposed to like perch and suckers and and those kind of fish, you know, the fat content in the trout and the salmon breeds some particularly heavy, huge. You know, you don't you don't get those snaky ones; they're all pretty. Yeah, they got shoulders, you know. And we had a guy. We're out there in the pontoon boat, you know, the party barge, which those things. Can be surprisingly good fishing boats. You know, you can have seven people fish off the thing at right, once. Right. You know, and it can be a good time. But um, this guy caught a forty-seven-inch, like twenty-seven-pound pike. Jeez. On exactly, like a Zebco Walmart. <laughs> you know, and I remember the reel—the reel handle fell off when the fish is like at the boat. He's oh, like, oh, really? Really? And we're trying oh to put God. it back together. It was, it like, was get ridiculous, the net! but yeah, get I mean, it was a. Net! pig of a fish that he got for sure bigger than anyone i ever caught you yeah know? I know. yeah i mean i caught some good ones but nothing like that it was huge
0: you know i remember and i don't know if it was an urban legend or not um but i always remember hearing about like catfish or some other type of fish at uh the hoover dam like the, like the eat a diver kind, yeah. like, kind of like the the like goliath footers. groupers in the keys you know yeah eat the rescue diver kind any, of thing yeah uh, any
1: intel on that I mean, I've heard the same story, you've heard, okay, <laughs> but okay, I, I've, <laughs> you know, I've never seen it firsthand. You know, but that'd I mean, be that same sort of situation, right?
0: Because that's that's where you know you've got the super deep water. I mean, normally nobody nobody's fishing
1: the bottom at the Hoover Dam, you know, on the right, lake right. side of it. So who knows? You know? Yeah. Eh, the other thing that's nuts is like Glen Canyon. I'm sure Lake Mead or. Whatever it is that the Hoover's at is it Lake Mead or is it the other one uh, Havasu maybe I
0: think I think Lake Powell is Glen Canyon Glen Canyon and then Lake Mead is uh, the Hoover which powers yeah maybe Vegas Havasu stuff, it's right? one of the two yeah you know
1: and uh, like at least with Glen Canyon the volume of that reservoir is not what it was when they built it. You know, the amount of silt that has flowed in there for the last 50 or 60 oh, it's years. It's got to be however, huge. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's backfilled a lot of it. Mm-hmm, you know? mm-hmm. And so I think they had to do some reevaluating on that when they were figuring out all their flows and how much water it could hold. Or are we ever going to fill it back up? And all, it's like, you know, there's a lot less space in it than there used
0: to there be. There used to be. Yeah. I, Cause I mean, you know, essentially what, what a lot of people don't realize is that, you know, the Grand Canyon, essentially, it was a lot narrower once it hits the Glen Canyon. But it's like there's another long distance of Grand Canyon that's been filled in by that water. And and a lot of people, I mean, when you read Emerald Mile, they talk about how that was some of the most beautiful part of the whole Grand Canyon was up there and yeah that's where they had a lot of the
1: pictographs and there was a lot of there was a lot of cultural sites that Uh went underwater at glen canyon and now
0: i'll bet you most of those are probably buried under silt too
1: i i would think that there's probably a good deal of that yeah Mm. you know i mean it did get so low there for a little bit here in the last decade and maybe two decades yeah, yeah a couple times it got low where you know the boat ramp at hype marina was like a mile from the, from <laughs> yeah, the actual right. water you know and
0: well the, the record lows were wasn't it 2019 or 2020 because over the last couple of years everything's gotten boosted way back up right
1: yeah i don't remember i know there's been a couple different times like you you know a lot of memories a lot of years you yeah, know yeah, but right. a couple different times i remember it getting you know record low or whatever and and there being crazy stories like yeah i was at hype marina and you know <laughs> it, it was a river and it was a mile away like the lake <laughs> the lake was nowhere in sight you know stuff like that and i was like wow you know my first introduction to all that was when i was like keep talking it's yeah it's cool here. i was like 16 i think and did a uh an outward bound trip that was like a reenact reenactment of the John Wesley Powell Expedition. Oh, no way. So we put in, you know, way up on the green at the Gates of Lodore and floated all the way to Hype Marina. It was like 26 days or something crazy.
0: Holy smokes, 26. Oh, well, the hour bound. Yeah, yeah. yeah they
1: well, I think they got all different kinds of stuff, but like what they were famous for were these grueling backpack trips of like 20 some odd days where you were a bunch of troublemakers, yeah. right? And then you had to haul your own flour and baking and make your own bread up there. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, and, you and, have like your solo triple uh-huh. days and stuff, like river trips, man. You got coolers, you know. You did the grand, you know, oh, yeah. like the grand's. Is, unreal like they'll take whole coolers pack your planned menus in them put them in a walk-in freezer freeze the whole cooler tape it shut and you don't even open it till the last five days and you got ice when you get to the yeah right still, especially you know? with the yetis and stuff yeah. today we
0: didn't have any of that quite quite that high end. i do remember we we were able to bring two fifths uh of any sort of alcohol and then you could bring two cases of beer and when I was when I did the second trip, when I was of age and everything, that was like, I was like, the, "Holy cow, this is awesome!"
1: The rule of thumb that I'm familiar with is the case of beer per person per day.
0: <laughs> oh jeez, I wasn't drinking that much back then. <laughs> no you know, way. I mean,
1: you only drink about half that, which is, I think, why you got to bring so much. But you know, they get spilled a lot. They get spilled know, a lot. There's yeah, a lot of soldiers, <laughs> wounded soldiers there, but.
0: I always thought it was cool, though, because, uh, you know, the Colorado's so cold. We would just, you'd fill up a little net bag and you'd just have it right in there. And that would usually keep the beers cold enough, especially, I mean, you know, if it's if it's 80 or 90 degrees out in the air.
1: Or 110. Or 100, yeah, yeah, you're right. Dude, Arizona is unbelievable with that. It's,
0: it is, it's It's crazy. Yeah.
1: Like, I, I landed there once, I don't remember where I was going at the time, but, you know, we got off the plane and, the you know, the captain's like, oh, you're welcome to sky harbor phoenix blah blah and we're looking at temperatures of 117 <laughs> you're just like what <laughs> oh, it's a dry heat it's yeah, a dry well you're heat. looking out there and there's like all the guys doing the luggage and stuff and you're like jeez man how can the hell could you out do there? that I know.
0: I know it's crazy well
1: and that's you know when i'm out um
0: when you do the trip from the north to the south atlantic or vice versa, mm-hmm. you get around the equator and in the doldrums area and I mean, sometimes it's like 90, 95. I've, I think I've, I've never really seen it much more than that. I'm sure in the sun, it might be hotter, but you will not have any wind. You get this ocean around you and down below in the cabin, it's like a hundred degrees. Oh, it's like an oven. There's just no way to escape any of it. And the only thing you can do is constantly wet your, you, you know, like whatever Evapor- you're wearing. Evaporative cooling. And just, you get that evaporation and that's the only reprieval. Oof. A lot of lightning going
1: yeah, on. There's been a couple of good ones.
0: Yeah, yeah. I know. The wind's picked back up again, too. But but yeah, I don't know. Are you... Uh, quick question. Are you um, Are you good at
1: cooking fish as well? I'm a decent cook. Nice. Here, like, across the board. Yeah, I've worked in some restaurants over the years. And like I said, you know, <laughs> you don't get a body like this by skipping meals. <laughs> 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 so, I mean, I, I can... I do okay. You know, I mean, I'm not going to dazzle you, but it'll be... You know, certainly edible. Well,
0: that's one of the things uh, when you get out there. Essentially, a lot of the cooking that gets done and the meals that you will eat are dictated actually by the weather Mm -hmm. more than anything. Because when it's rough and it's ugly... That's when you're eating just like, you know,
1: a can of Chef Boyardee. You know, when I was looking at the stove, the way it's set up to kind of <laughs> the swing. Gimbal. Side yeah, to, yeah. you know, I definitely, I guess there's an expectation. I was like, oh, sweet. So the stove stays level while the boat gonna, rocks. Yeah. Like, that's pretty interesting.
0: How much are we going to rock out there? Yeah. yeah.
1: And then it's like, you know, with any luck, the fish you catch out there, most of them you can eat raw. Ah, <laughs> uh, like, yeah. You get a little wasabi powder
0: or something uh-huh. to bring with. A little soy sauce, a little mm-hmm. lemon. <laughs> done that before but yeah i mean usually when when i catch like mahi mahi or small tuna or something like that i'll basically fillet that thing up and you know i'll I'll eat i'll make little real thin cuts and have those raw just with a little like bit of soy back, sauce backstrap or whatever mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then um but yeah i mean most of the time i've just a little olive oil or something and just fry it up in a pan and chomp it down
1: did you grow up Doing a lot of hunting and stuff up there in Michigan, or you know,
0: we never did really. So, I, I all my friends and their parents and stuff would all go out during deer season, it's all white tailed, yeah. Mm-hmm. I had some friends that they would go out and get like black bear up in up in the up and everything. And I don't know, it just I was always I would do a lot of lake fishing, mm-hmm. um, but I just Can yeah, I you never ever catch a muskie. I don't know if I've ever caught a muskie on our little lake, it was. Back in my day, it was trout, perch, bass, walleye. Now it's bass, essentially, and pike on Mm -hmm. that lake. And on the lakes up in uh, the UP, it's pretty much same thing, walleye and trout. Like lake trout? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, and rainbow. And rainbows? Yeah. But small, you know, there's... You you look at all those old pictures. What must it have been like 100 years ago? You see these guys with like a rack of like 15, 40-inch walleye, and they're on this little lake. You're like, man, that's what it's like to be the first ones there.
1: White people are pretty good at screwing stuff up, man. Yeah, it's like, let's just take as many of them as possible. It's, you know, (laughs) I mean, then they come back around and try and manage it well, but it's like, you know. Well, there was just, I mean, I... There was a real
0: ignorance, no matter you know who you were back then, of like the world is just so plentiful. There's no way we could ever, yeah, get all of this. I mean, when we were talking about you know the, the logging. cutting the trees down mm-hmm. and stuff. I mean, most of the most of the small towns in northern Michigan are all old lumber mill towns. Same with from back when they were you know Vanderbilt, all those guys were building all the cities. And the ones that are still there are just the towns that somehow survived.
1: Yeah. Like even when I was a kid up there where my grandparents, you know, live in northern New Hampshire, there was several paper mills, like paper mill towns. Yeah. yeah, That was like the backbone of the whole town, you know, and they're pretty much all gone now, you know, which is out that way. yeah. Yeah, for sure.
0: There's still a bunch on when I was doing the Appalachian Trail. I remember I think it was like Pearsville or Perryville. Somewhere in Pennsylvania, I believe. Oh. But I mean, you could, you know, you get that, that you pulp smell. smell. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. not a,
1: the best smell. That's no, for sure. no. It's you, you always
0: know when you're entering a, a pulp mill.
1: So, my, my great, I was just thinking of those towns, you know, it's Gorham and Groveton. Gorham. Right, right? Gorham's yeah. right on the AT, man. Randolph is right there, too, I think. And uh, so, my great, great <laughs> grandfather was named Bick, Bickford. Oh no he, way! He was the famous one-arm mountain guide from, uh, from I believe Gorham, New Hampshire, who he built a cabin that's actually in the Great Gulf on the side of Mount Washington that he was allowed to live out his days in after they made it national forest. No way! Yeah, I've never been up there, um, but my dad and I think a couple of his cousins one time, you know, maybe. 10 or 15 years ago got up there and they actually found like the old footings and foundation the old wood stove and stuff from the cabin but so that's on the is that like the north northern eastern, side northeastern kind of flank of Mount Washington? yeah because there's
0: there's lion's head which is like a overlook spot
1: he's like the next so if you're looking at Tuckerman's which is kind of on yeah the, the east side it's the next kind of the next one over drainage or whatever you'd call it you right know, right the next the, bowl almost. right to the right Dude, that's some
0: gnarly stuff. So many people have died up there. Yeah. It was the most deadly uh, mountain in North America
1: for... It's insane. For, for almost sure. ever. Yeah, now, I think Denali wind, took it. Highest wind speed ever recorded it was like 238 or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's when the gear blew off the mountain or whatever.
0: Yeah. Oh, man. God, I, I, they, a great book about all... Um, he only touches on it, I guess, but Bill
1: Bryson's a walk in the woods. When Is that the one with the, the bear on the cover?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, yeah. I read
1: most of that. I don't and know that,
0: that that one, in you know, it it had it was great for me personally because it was it was a huge part of the inspiration to go and hike the trail. Um, but at the same time, that book, and then especially when they turned it into a movie, sort of changed. There, it just amped up the amount of people that were willing to or figured it'd be a good idea to go out and try and hike the trail. So, it, it, you know, it's, it's funny how when, when brought, Hollywood... brought to
1: light a couple, like, serial killer weirdos, too. A couple more, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think
0: up until the point where that had gone on, there were maybe eight or ten murders. The last, the last one that I knew about was in 2019. Oh, that's when interesting. When the guy, yeah, some Jared something or other freaking psycho... Uh, he was on the trail for a long time, threatening people, being a real crazy person. Um, I think he got thrown in jail, but then let out. And then he ended up, I think he killed one, stabbed another woman who the woman actually, I, I ended up actually doing a podcast about it when I knew the story through mm-hmm. and through. It's freaking crazy, dude. I mean, yeah. But they do say, they say if you draw a 2,000 mile long line anywhere in America, you're going to run through some murder cases.
1: That's an interesting concept, too. Because uh, so some years ago, a guy that I worked with, his girlfriend was one of the kind of key figures at Bonnaroo, that giant music festival in, in Tennessee.
0: Oh, yeah. yeah,
1: And I got the opportunity to go, whatever. You know, we were all styled VIP backstage. It was great <laughs> because of <laughs> her. But, you know, talking with her when we were just sitting around one night. She's like, you know, when you put this many people together, there's certain things that are going to happen regardless of what kind of preparations or, you know, it's just statistically all of a sudden there's this list of things, you know, like when you have 120,000 people in one place at one time, you're going to have a minimum of one death, you know? Right, right, right. Maybe even more, but it could be natural. She started kind of punching through this kind of weird list of stuff like, huh, weird, (laughs) you know, like it's totally like statistically you put that many people in one place and Certain things are going to happen, you know, and it it was like, see, from a planning standpoint, they just come to terms with that and expect it. And it's just kind of a surreal way to look at, you know, an event like that. Yeah, that's got me scratch my head a little because, you Mm -hmm. know, you think about it where it's sort of like, oh, well, they weren't running that
0: venue well enough because you know somebody died or this happened and you know
1: you're right and, and well that's probably a possibility beyond it well you know for but, sure but yeah regardless you're gonna have you certain put that many things people, yeah and I, I wish i could remember better what some of them were because there was a couple like stuff you'd never think of where you're like huh i guess so you know it's like, weird mm-hmm.
0: well and it is i mean if you if you basically had a hundred thousand people just go stand in a field not do anything you're still gonna have somebody who just that's it's their that's day, a day. You know, yeah. a heart attack or whatever it is you know
1: oh god no, yeah that's it's funny. pretty it's pretty nuts you know because that's basically what they did is you know put together a small city of a hundred at least with the day surge and everything yeah and you got yeah. like ha- this many people camping there for the whole event you know like 80,000 and then you get another 40 like day surge people who just come for the day and go home at night yeah 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 and it's like that's insane man like it's ridiculous <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh yeah, man! Well, hey, uh, believe it or not, we're closing in on an hour. Really? Yeah, it goes by fast, doesn't it? Yeah. But I will say, uh, I'm I'm pretty sure this is going to be the first of quite a few podcasts that we do while we're <laughs> out there. I do, I'll do a bunch of like solo ones for sure. Um, but at the same time. You know, and and the other thing, the cool thing is, we can you can take these microphones out and actually just use that. So, like, I think you, Ryan, and I I oh you can just put it it in the middle of the table, Mm -hmm. and as long as there's not a lot of outside noise, you know, the audio quality is not quite as good, but all three of us can have like our sort of safety brief and all that sort of stuff. So, I'm hoping to be able to do kind of like a whole, you know, little four or five different podcast series you know about this trip um
1: i mean yeah that's so cool with the starlink thing if we get that worked out you can even post. you can upload while yeah, we're out there yeah be very little time delay
0: we could do like a daily like morning show like, <laughs> and it's raining again i wish we had a dodger <laughs> what the heck ryan <laughs> yeah
1: well you know it looked pretty good from the rain standpoint you know, it didn't look like. I guess it's hard to say that many days out, but
0: I—I have a feeling. Uh, you know, we we've got that role of the isinglass, the you know the flexible clear stuff, and I think if we get our hands on some sort of little tarp or something, something a little heavier than some little Walmart thing.
1: I got a vision
0: on that. All right. And I'm going to, I'm going to let you together. run with that. Cause that, you know, with, with some line and honestly with like a little grommet maker thing, which those are super easy to, to, uh, to procure. Yeah. Um, you can, we can make something up that at least gives us a little bit of protection, but The one thing I will say is that for a long time, nobody ever had those things. And, you know, they still got, they still got there. So we'll have to sort of see on that one. But that, that the one thing I I do know is that any future deliveries that I take, that will be a question. Yeah. Is there a Dodger on this (laughs) boat? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I bet that list
1: has grown since Mm -hmm. you started. You know, things Uh, things things to ask ask No, no.
0: I mean, I kind of... Ryan's been very upfront and uh, definitely uh, keeping me in the loop and everything. And he he expressed a lot of his concerns and and stuff. And I I definitely applaud him for that one because I kind of came down here knowing, even before I got on the plane, I was like, okay, so there's still got to be a lot of stuff to do. And and that's because he's been forthright and, you know, honest about everything. And that's, that's to me, much more important than, you know, having the boat 100% ready on, you mm-hmm. know, right before we go.
1: Yeah, I, I could see somebody kind of BSing you on that one it would be a little extra disappointing. Oh, yeah. If you, know? you
0: walked in, if, if all you knew was that, you know, we were going to leave in two days' time once I got down here, and you were like, what, how, how are we going to do that? Then, yeah, then it'd be a different story. But no, I, I like Ryan. I think he's going to be I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I hope he has a good time on this trip and um, yeah, dude, we're, we're his
1: support crew. (laughs) Literally we are his crew.
0: Yeah. El Cap. I hope he, I'm sure he's going to listen to this. So,
1: well, it's great every time I've called his phone and he hasn't answered, you know, hey you've reached captain ryan leave i know <laughs> i know yeah right. i saw that <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's great all
0: right rory well thanks for coming on the show we'll we'll do more of these for sure and we'll get into i definitely uh if we can we could do a whole show about soil growth and fungus and all that stuff because that stuff what, is if, really fascinating to me
1: yeah i think it's that you. i I know a little. Yeah, know? No, no no for, for sure. sure so. Doing
0: it, I the the fact that you know how to do that stuff in the natural sense where you're utilizing nature to help nature be more productive, that's pretty cool, man.
1: God bless the internet, you know. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, man, until next
0: time. Yeah.